Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Ribot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. Greetings and welcome back to Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this is episode 27. Got a really incredible guest today, a little later on, the amazing, the prolific Corey Wong. You may know him from Wolfpack, but he's also struck out on his own in recent years and released a ton of not only amazing music, but some of the best music video content on the internet. So stick around to learn more about Corey's vision and also about how he stays on task to create all of this phenomenal music, phenomenal content. I was really impressed with what Corey had to say and really enjoyed this hang. So that's coming up in a little bit. I've got some great sponsors this season. So grateful to have some very cool brands backing the podcast, helping me make this happen and get it out there to all of you. The first of those sponsors is ArtistWorks. ArtistWorks has really changed the game in terms of online music learning. They have a really diverse platform, world-class instructors that cover a really wide range of genres and instruments. One of the coolest things ArtistWorks has going on is their patented video exchange learning platform. So you're taking lessons and you video yourself playing something, trying to work something out on your instrument, and you get a video back from your instructor with advice and critiques that are specific to what you've got going on, which is really a phenomenal way to advance on your instrument, no matter what level you're at. They have some phenomenal faculty in the bluegrass field, but they also have one of the world's best electric guitar players teaching on the ArtistWorks platform, and that is Mr. Guthrie Trapp, who recently sat in with the String Dusters at our Fillmore show in San Francisco. I think that was the first time I'd ever jammed with Guthrie, and he blew us away, and he's just one of many incredible teachers that are part of this platform. So check out artistworks.com if you're looking to take your musical game to the next level. Our other sponsor this season is Orvis, one of my favorite brands in the field of outdoor gear. Of course, they specialize in fly fishing gear. I'm a huge fly fisherman and conservationist myself, and I'm just a genuine fan of this brand. I love the Helios fly rods. I have a few of those in my quiver and have caught some amazing fish on those rods. Much of their gear is made in the USA. I was lucky to pay a visit to the factory up in Vermont, and it was just a a really cool operation, lots of local folks making really, really high-quality gear right there at the factory, putting guides on rods the whole nine yards. It was fascinating to see and definitely changed my perception of Orvis. I used to think they were this 
behemoth brand with stuff that was made all over, but it's really not the case. It's really high quality gear. It's a very conscientious group of people who are doing excellent work, not only in terms of the rods, the apparel, everything else that they're making, but also really walking the walk, giving back in the name of conservation, which is so important today, no matter whether you're a hardcore outdoors person or someone who just takes advantage of that resource in a more casual manner, we all need to be thinking about how we can preserve and protect the natural world. And huge thanks to Orvis for everything that they're doing in that area. And I also want to say a quick word. There's a great clothing brand that is starting up in Denver right now called Wise River. And recently I connected my friend Nick, who is the founder of Wise River with Trout Unlimited, more specifically Wild Steelheaders United, which is part of TU, and they collaborated on this really beautiful, really cool t-shirt, the proceeds from which are all going to conservation. You can check out Wise River online to get in on that. They're making fantastic gear. They have a fantastic mission. And of course, I've been a Trout Unlimited member for years. Can't say enough great things about the work that they are doing. So give it some thought and make sure you figure out a way that you can pitch in on the conservation front. It is more important now than ever before. All right, back to the music. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who left a review for the podcast over at Apple Podcasts as part of the contest that I was running last week. I'll have a shout out for the winner of the contest on the next episode because I'm recording this before the window for entries wraps up. It was great to see all the feedback. Thank you all so much. This podcast is something that I have really put a lot of time and energy into over the last few years. And what can I say? I love being a podcast host. This has been so fun and so gratifying. And the thing that I, I think I love most about it is the opportunity to hang and talk with so many incredible, insightful, talented musicians who, of course, happen to be great human beings as well. And I just learned so much from these interviews. I pretty much always come away really inspired by what my guests have to say about how they approach their craft, both writing and performance, the, the discipline, the work that goes into it, the origins of their musical journey, really all of it. We just have so much to learn from each other, and I've really loved that part. When I started the podcast, I was interviewing people that mostly that I knew, you know, had played with, and while those were incredible, informative, interesting interviews, in some sense, I knew more about where those conversations we're going to go, but as I get deeper into it now, 27 episodes in, about to wrap up season three, I'm branching out and, of course, connecting with musicians who I'm meeting for the first time when we get together for Inside the Musician's Brain. You're hearing us get acquainted in real time, which I, which I love. And some of these recent interviews, including today's chat with Corey Wong, have just been so inspiring. Last week's episode with Karina Reichman was definitely no exception. Her energy... Her passion for music is so apparent, so infectious, and it comes through in her music, in all of her new music that she's releasing, which is phenomenal. After that interview, I was in my studio playing along with her stuff, like right after we wrapped up. I was pretty fired up, and, and that led into a really creative practice session and some writing. I was just inspired, and that's a great feeling. You really gotta, you gotta capture that when you can. And today's guest, Corey Wong, is an exceptionally prolific human being, and everything he said about how he achieves that productivity was so on point. That was really inspiring. I'm already trying to start to incorporate some of those ideas into the way that I get my work done. So a couple quick thoughts about this concept of inspiration, which, of course, it comes in many forms. Some people will inspire the actual art that you're creating. You hear a song and you're like, oh, I want to take things in that direction. Some people will inspire you just to get motivated and act in whatever your chosen endeavor is. That's you know more what I was referring to when I was talking about Corey. Some people will inspire you just with the way that they carry themselves, and you, you see something that you think is meaningful, you want to emulate. And one of the big things to to kind of notice and point out about inspiration is that it's how we react to that moment that could be a big part of determining who we are, who we become, and 
what kind of contribution we make to the world. This is definitely something I've talked about previously on the podcast, and you just need to listen to that feeling of inspiration because that will guide you in the direction of things that are meaningful to you, and those are the things that you really put your heart and soul into. Those can be things that you really excel at and do something meaningful, and maybe most importantly, it brings you a real sense of gratification in the process. And to some people, this comes really naturally, but for others, it takes a little more intention, a little more awareness, and that's totally normal, totally okay, but it's all about embracing those new discoveries, those new passions that can be an important first step to fulfillment. You gotta love what you do with your life. You gotta love the things that you spend your time on. It's important. And I should say, it's important to understand that whatever you're passionate about, it doesn't necessarily have to become your career. Like, like that's not for everyone. Your contribution to the world extends far beyond your career choices, and the fulfillment that you feel that you cultivate in your life can certainly come from a lot of other places. You'll hear me talk with Corey in this upcoming conversation about how success and fulfillment are two different things. This was a really interesting part of the conversation for me. Now, we do mention that they can definitely converge in certain cases, but I think understanding the difference between these two concepts can really help you find balance and happiness. So in a nutshell, I'm using the term success to refer more to a person's career exploits, while to me, the term fulfillment refers more to any form of gratifying activity that feeds your soul, whether it's career oriented or not. And Corey's big point is that following someone else's idea of success does not necessarily equate to fulfillment. In today's society, we have literally endless external sources telling us what success should look like, what it should be comprised of. And of course, in many cases, that's a very material endeavor. But does that really have anything to do with what you care about or with what with what you value, if we get too caught up purely chasing someone else's concept of success, we might miss out on the things that are really important to us. Whereas when you follow your passions, when you take the time to, let's say, develop as an artist and really make your own original statement, I think you have a great chance of killing two birds with one stone because you're fulfilled simply through the act of creating, since you're doing something that you care about, and that often yields the most compelling statement. So if you're a career musician, that's that's going to help you create the thing that connects with the most people and then in turn can yield that career element of success while creating the feeling of fulfillment at the same time. And that's huge. And that's the angle Corey was taking on this whole subject and a very meaningful take. But as I said earlier, it's important to know that you don't need to align your career and your passions in every case. That's just not for everyone, but it is important to chase after things that you are passionate about somewhere in your life because ultimately that is the thing that creates fulfillment, whether it's connected to your career or not. So get out there, keep your ears open, keep your eyes open, and pay attention to the things that move you. All right. Let's jump ahead now to my conversation with Corey Wong. This was a good one. Here we go. My guest today on Inside the Musician's Brain is an incredible musician, and I have to say one of the most prolific, productive people out there, just from the outside looking in. So much cool stuff. Can't wait to talk about it all. Corey Wong, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is, um, this is cool. You know, most of my guests on the show are people who I've hung with, played with, gotten to know, but this is our first time hanging out. And I got to say, I'm just excited to 
learn a little bit more about your whole thing, man. How do you keep all these balls in the air? What's your what's your trick to the amazing productive output, the efficiency that you've got going on? Mm. Take us, take us inside that. There's probably a few things that contribute to it. One being I just feel like I'm in a really nice creative hot streak right now where I feel like I've I've got a lot of creative energy and I've got a lot of creative people around me and I've always been a strong I, I've always felt that creativity is a vine that blossoms rather than a gas tank that empties. That's the thing that I always say and that's kind of how I feel about the things that I'm doing. I'm involved in projects like Wolfpack and the Fearless Flyers where I'm a part of the band and that has a different creative energy and I get to you know produce or do things with that and sure. play in the band and just like do my parts and that feeds one thing and it and it feeds different creative energy there cuz there's so many everybody in each of those ensembles is a great leader in themselves or could do their own thing and many do and then with Corey Wong, with my project, I just have a lot of ideas on the guitar since I've kind of found my voice on the instrument. A lot of production ideas, a lot of compositional ideas, and people that I collaborate with. So there's a lot of creative energy around my world, and I feel like I'm in a nice zone with that. So that helps. Cool. The next is I... I have a really good to-do list and logistics and calendar keeping habit. And okay. I do I use a very a very good process, good for me process of to-do list for the immediate as in like this needs to get done today. To-do list for this week, this month, this year, goals for things after that. We're like, okay, I'm looking towards this thing in a couple years, I got to start thinking about this or just at least keep things in my mind when I'm in a certain space or whatever. And yeah, I think that sort of thing really helps, you know, having a good to-do list and being able to stick to it. And most sure. of my to-do list is task oriented and I'm able to stay on it. And I have people around me that I can delegate certain things to. Like, uh, you know, obviously I have my booking agents and my managers that can handle some of the business stuff. And I step in when I need to in those realms. And then I have, I do a lot of my own video editing, but now I have somebody who helps with a lot of that. So that's okay. taken some of that off of my chest where up until a few months ago, I was doing it all myself. And with the audio side of things, I do you know, the editing and mixing for the most part. And then I can kind of get the last 10% if I send it off to somebody else just to kind of help finish it. Or sometimes I'll take it all the way to the finish line. But that that's, you know, also just kind of part of the creative process for me. And then horn arranging. I have a great horn arranger. I'll come up with ideas and lines and things. And it's, okay, now arrange this for the ensemble that we have for this tour. So being able to delegate certain things, having a wonderful team around me really helps. But then I think the third thing that really contributes to this is that I I have a lot of bandwidth to be able to do the work that I'm really passionate about. And I am able to just see something and see it through. To and make you love it. to work. I do. I'm a worker okay. bee. I'm a worker bee. I kind of wish I wasn't, but it's just how I'm built. I like, you know, I'm made to, <laughs> I'm made to be in the trenches, man. Well, that's that's all really interesting and makes a lot of sense. And I'm hearing, you know, the there's a lot of good things going on on the creative side, but there also are sort of just the more almost like boring aspects of it, the diligence things, the staying yeah. on task. But I loved what you said a minute ago about how you've kind of like come into a good zone with your, your playing, your creativity, and then what, what you said about creativity, which is a vine that blossoms and not a tank that empties. That... That's interesting. Take us inside that. So do you feel like you you honed your craft over years and then something happened and kind of like a switch flipped where you went from almost like I'm working on this stuff to, okay, now it's time to just go output. And for a little context for our listeners, 
I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've released 11 albums in the last two years, 2020 and 2021. You don't even don't know. know. Okay, so well, and I, I this in January, I released a my my Wolf Vault, which is every every person in Wolfpack, we all are doing our own kind of compilation album. Okay, where it features each member of the band or whatever. So you know, there's going to be seven total in the end, and all of them up until mine were compilation albums things that were off of previous records or in some cases like a b-side but like there was a video for it or something in my case i said i want to do all original music or new music and new being like there was a lot of stuff that wolfpack recorded over the last couple year or few years like when we were touring you know i would schedule us a couple days in jack would be like hey let's add on a couple days of recording. So I'd find us a studio in LA or Denver or New York, wherever. And we'd go in and record. And a lot, some of those songs didn't make it on the album, but I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, these tunes are so cool. So I wanted, I knew that those tunes still existed. And Jack was like, I'm not going to do anything with them. I don't, I don't know what to do with them. I'm, I, I, I can't, I'm, they're done to me. So he's like, you know, they're gone. It's like, no, 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 let me, let me use them. Let me put them in my Volfall. He's like, great. That's a perfect place to put it. You put your thing on it, add your layers, put your production on it. And that was uh, a project that I did in 2022 is what I'm trying to say. So as far as number of albums, I don't remember. Some things were live. Like I did uh, an album with the Metropole Orchestra, which is a huge, or it's an orchestra yep. in the Netherlands. And we did a, a little tour together and we recorded all the shows, and I made a live album of that. And then there was a couple other things that were kind of live albums. Well, regardless, the output is is staggering, and the music is all so sick, man. I mean, it's Thank really, you. it's really, really cool shit. And and we're going to talk about some of that. But but I'm uh, you know take us back to that thing you said, and and how yeah. this process kind of unfolded for you, because I think that's really fascinating. You know, I see someone like you making all of this great music and it it spans a pretty wide spectrum too you know everything from mm-hmm. collaborations with Sierra and Feely to like all this really tight big band funk stuff so is that kind of how that all unfolded for you do you feel like you were working on your craft forever and then all of a sudden you came into a zone where it was just like time to write arrange record produce and this output started happening the output kind of happened on accident and I have no, I have no real compelling reason for it. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll think my way. I'll think out loud through this whole thing. So I started making, I started recording and producing music when I was in eighth grade, right? I started playing guitar in seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, I wanted to record my band. So I got this recording device and I learned how to use it. I learned what effects were. I learned how to mic things just off of trial and error. We had one or two microphones for my band and it was all crappy. And it's kind of, it's funny listening back to some of it, but I, you know, was working on original material, writing original material from the time I started playing music. And then Keep going. My high school band, college band, had a jam band in college, and we were recording and writing music and whatever, and I was kind of figuring things out there. But then I, I went to the school at the University of Minnesota for science, and I kind of figured, oh, music's this thing that I'll do, whatever, for fun. And then eventually I decided, no, music is going to be my career, and I was very career-focused. I was trying to figure out, okay, so what is it that I can do to make a living as a musician? And I'm going to hone my craft and I'm going to figure out how can I just make a living doing the music thing. Okay. And that was a lot of playing in other bands, playing on other people's records, producing other people's records, doing some of my music on the side. And then eventually I started playing for bigger and bigger artists, recording for bigger and bigger artists. Then eventually I joined Wolfpack. And that kind of, I think right there, was okay I'm now a part of this project that I really feel like I have a nice creative expression with where it's like I have my lane within the band and everybody else is so creative and there's such a 
a unique force that happens when the band comes together that I was feeding off the creativity of Theo, Jack, Woody, Joe, Joey, Antoine, everybody involved. It was like, there was such a, there was such a, a wonderful creative environment that I was invited into that all of a sudden it was like all of this stuff that I've worked for or worked towards honing my craft, honing my skills, finding my voice and that sort of thing just kind of all happened at, at that time. And what's, what's kind of interesting is that it wasn't until, you know, we, we all want to find our voice. We want to make our magnum opus when we're in our, 20s or whatever we feel like we have to or like like at some expiration date for creativity or something you know it wasn't until i after i turned 30 where i felt like okay i found my voice and really that is when the creative thing started because now it's like i'm not competing with anybody it's i'm not i'm not i'm not going for best guitar player in the world best producer best writer whatever best instrumental act there's none of that it's just like how can i be the best me because i found a unique voice on my instrument where I realized, Oh yeah, I like play in a way that's different than most other guitar players. And the thing that's compelling about what I do is different than what's compelling about a lot of other guitar players. And that has to do with the way that I play guitar, but then my writing and my producing shapes a lot of that as well. So in that time, like since I found that, that was just like, boom, now I'm just exploring every avenue of that and how can I continue to develop my voice and change my voice. So if people know me as a funk guitar player, when I make an album and have, you know, Chris Thiele and Sierra Hall on it, it's like you hear me on acoustic guitar and I'm exploring my voice in that realm, exploring my creativity in that realm. So that's really, to me, it's just like I'm kind of, it's just this huge playground now that I'm just in and, and the byproduct is, being prolific, I guess. Yeah. That's really cool. So it sounds like when Wolfpack came together, that was the beginning of a lot of meaningful things starting to move and happen. And there'd been a lot of building up to that, but just the inspiration of being around those musicians and what you guys were creating sounds like that really spurred something. Yeah. When I was absorbed into the band, yeah. so the band kind of existed on the internet and did a handful of shows before. I was absorbed into it. And once that happened right then was when I was, when I feel like I had a, I had an idea of what my, I had heard my voice and now I was kind of sorting it out. And actually my, you, I you can actually hear it. The first album that I played on like pretty much the whole thing with Wolfpack is beautiful game. And when you listen to that album, if you listen in the context of this conversation that we're having, you can kind of hear that I'm discovering my voice. Cool. In those songs. And if you listen to everything after that album, I feel like I have a much stronger voice where on that album, I was really kind of figuring, I I felt like I had just grabbed, I'm just about to grab onto it. Like there's certain aspects where it's like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I'm getting it. And then, Certain aspects where it's like, I'm still kind of finding my thing. Like the guitar parts work and they're great for the songs, but moving forward from there, I feel like you can actually hear more. You just, it's a much more potent thing. That's cool. I'm going to listen to that in a different way. So what year was that, that you were, as you say, absorbed into Wolfpack? The years are all blending together, especially at this point. (laughs) But the band 15 late, uh, yeah, 2015. But but the band had already started to or had established its presence online because Wolf kept, Wolfpack yeah. has such an interesting and unique origin story, the way mm-hmm. that that you guys generated so much buzz and attention and it seems like without ever really going out and going on tour, which, you know, that's just the model that all bands, my band, seems like every band kind of inherits these days is like you get out on the road, you know, you play a hundred shows a year, you build it fan by fan, but something very different and very unique happened Mm -hmm. with Wolfpack. What was that like? Just observing that, feeling that, the effects of that? I mean, that that must have been pretty exciting and and there must have been a lot of energy around that too. Absolutely insane. And I was watching it happening 
and cheering it on from the sidelines and on the phone with Jack before I was even, you know, like I'm saying, absorbed in the band. We were friends and hung out and jammed and stuff before, you know, I, I really came into the band or whatever. But the way that I, to answer your question, it was absolutely insane. And it's That's still awesome. insane to, to, to see it all happen. And, you know, Jack's intention was at first just for it to be a YouTube act or something, yeah. not really a live performing band. And then now it's all of a sudden grown into this thing that's ab- absolutely incredible and none, that none of us could have ever seen coming, I guess. But I think the thing that really you need to understand is that, and I've actually used this exact metaphor analogy whatever before is that the internet is jack's mandolin jack jack could play the internet like a mandolin it's like that's his he just gets it he understands the internet he sees all these different things happening he sees this stuff and he just like his mind can can put a lot of things together and see what's happening, how he can use his voice in it, how he can be artful with it, how he can be authentic and true to himself and to the band with it, and just like know which things to latch on to for the band and for himself. He can give his advice on on those things for us that are part of it and our solo things. But he's he's such an absorber of the internet, and then he just knows. He just, I, I don't know, he gets, he gets internet communities. He gets, it, it, the internet is his mandolin. Yeah, that's, no, I, that's it. I get it. I get it. And it seems also like he and all of you guys are really good at, like you say, taking advantage of this medium, but in a cool, authentic way. Like the Wolfpack stuff and all of your stuff, which we're going to talk about here in a second, it, it's so high on production value and uniqueness and just like sleek and cool and all that early like retro looking Wolfpack stuff. I mean, I get it that playing the internet and knowing how to sort of game that system and, and you know, where to be and at what time, but the things that were being put out too, I just think, you know, we're, we're, we're hitting. That was just like a Mm. really, really big part of it that, you know, the music was really authentic and the content was just killing Thank you. And I think it's there are a lot of amazing musicians out there, amazing bands that are incredible that don't get seen or heard. And I think that's almost actually nowadays it's like just expected. You know, it's like you you better be amazing and then you try to figure out how to do the other stuff i will say wolfpack does have a few things that are objectively magnetic about it in the music as well Oh, for sure you know and and beyond just any of the internet antics um that's yeah that that is something that i kind of feel like oh yeah but like just like isn't everybody doesn't everybody just have to be awesome nowadays and maybe that's Maybe that's just my mindset and not everybody thinks that. Maybe some people think the opposite. It's like, well, whatever. you don't have to be awesome. You just got to be out there and doing your thing and do it consistent enough. It doesn't matter whether you're good or not. To me, I'm like, well, the thing's got to be awesome in order for it to be worth trying to get people to look at it. Well, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think in today's DIY, sometimes referred to as like a more democratic music environment where mm-hmm. – the door is wide open kind of to everyone, you know, versus what we had 20 years ago when there are a lot more gatekeepers, but you had to kind of do something to get over that hump and play that Mm -hmm. game. And these days it seems like everyone thinks, Oh, well the door's open. So, you know, I'll take my shot. But at the end of the day, being a badass, putting out something that's really great, that stands apart, I think is ultimately the thing that's going to take you the extra mile. Yeah. And I would really, Agree. I mean, you guys have many compelling musical elements that jump out. The playing, everybody is just like such a great player, but there are, you know, are a few voices, especially like Joe Dart's bass playing just is something so epic and special. And your guitar playing, man, is really, it's really, really unique. You know, when I hear you play, I hear not only 
you know, the really cool, like kind of rhythm heavy approach that articulates melodies and chords, but the sound, like the tone and the presentation of it all. I, and I get it now that I hear you talking about, you know, having a context to play in, which I talk about a lot on this podcast, how important it is as musicians to have a context and hone your thing in the context of something I think that can really take you far. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened in your case. And then extends out to this prolific catalog that I started to mention earlier and all of these really cool projects. And I hear that really coming through like your sound, you know, and all of all of the uniqueness, all the musicality. And that's really what drives a lot of this, a lot of this content that you're putting out. Um, if you want to check out what Corey's up to, I would really recommend going to your YouTube page. I mean, it's so stacked with great content. Obviously, Spotify will have all, all these albums to listen to, too. But Corey and the Wong Notes, this thing blew me away, dude. It's so sick. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and check it out. Again, it's on YouTube and on Spotify. But, you know, you go to YouTube and... When you watch that video, we're watching you guys make this album live in real time, correct? Yes. Yeah, so with Corey and the Wong Notes, uh, we've, we've done two seasons. We're in the middle of season two right now. The way that we do it is I batch record them. So I record for one week, well, five days. We record on the stage, on the set, mm -hmm. and we record all the intros monologue, bumper music, outros, all that stuff. And we record the songs for the episodes. And those songs just end up being the album, right? So we record everything live on set. And it's great. It saves right. and time. And it, it's like, it gets a little more of that live energy. And for context too, you know, you're mentioning monologue, intros, bumpers. There's this whole like kind of talk show vibe like you guys are on yes. the set of a talk show so and there's these layers to it you know and there's that element you know there's there's how to musician with Corey Wong there's all this hilarious stuff that you've done on your <laughs> on your Instagram page um and it's like all these things come together and if all you ever listened to was just the music you think that this was a totally badass album but there are so many elements to this thing like, how does a project like this come together? Do you start and write the music? And then, you know, it, are, are, you mentioned that you have people who are working for you doing some arranging, but then how does it go down? Like you, you get to where you're going to record, you do the filming, you know, where does rehearsing happen? Like, this is a pretty, the scope of this project and some of these other things that you've done is pretty big. Like, take us inside the process a little bit. Like, how does that come together? Well, I had a vision for this sort of project when I was in high school. So two projects I always wanted to do when I was in high school is play with a band on an ice rink and film it. We'll get there later. Wong on ice. <laughs> and do my own variety show where it's like SNL meets the late show if the musicians took over. And cool. it's, it's all, it's, most it's focused on the music and the musicians and it's music topics in the sketches and in the monologues and in the, in the interviews and stuff. It's all, it's music focused show. Mm -hmm. I had that vision when I was in high school and I just, I didn't have the, I didn't actually have the, I just thought of that idea and I didn't really have the proper, I guess, resources first off. And second off, you know, team or actual actual writing and compelling enough statements to, to make it happen. I knew that I needed to wait until I really fleshed out the idea. So finally, the, uh, about a year and a half ago, it's like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. So I worked on writing a bunch of things for the, for the show itself. And worked with a couple extra writers, too, to help me with some of the sketches and and that sort of thing. And, yeah, that part of things was the, the thing that was different. As far as the music, it's just like, it's just an album. So, and on the other side of things, it could also be, it's like, 
album promo disguised as a variety show. You know, it's like, this is all just my album. Right, right. And you're, instead of a music video budget, I made a variety show and that's part of the music video or whatever. So I don't know. You could look at it a couple different ways. I see it as both things because, yeah, I made, for the first season, I made an album called Corey and the Wong Notes and I made a variety show where we, you know, played one of those songs on on every episode. And it's just recording it all live on the set. Did we rehearse? No, I didn't rehearse any of it. I made really good demos at home. And with the drummer, I, I'm pretty particular about certain things. And I just wanted to make sure because we're doing live takes on everything, I, I, I had him send me like, all right, just record yourself a voice memo of playing along to these demos. Okay, no, change this, change this, change this. Because my demos, I just played pretty simple drums just to get the the idea of the groove. So I, it, instead of rehearsing, I just had him send me his ideas. I said, no, change this, change this, change this, change this, you know, doing the producer thing. And then as far as the horn parts, working out those arrangements ahead of time, working with the horn arrangement. Okay, here's the horn arranger. Here's what I have in mind. Uh, Michael Nelson is his name. And he would, you know, okay, here's, I'm interpreting it this way. Here's the chart. Uh, okay, change this part in the score, change this, change this. We'd go back and forth a little bit. And then once we get to the actual recording session, I've got a great demo. The horn arrangements are set. We don't rehearse at all. We just play the tunes down. I mean, we like ran them maybe once or twice. Like right then, before you're about to record or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll get right back to my interview with Corey after this very short break. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian McKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. So no rehearsal. I love it. So you you basically do a lot of that work on the front end. You'll cut mm-hmm. demos where you play some of the instruments, get great charts for the horns. And then it seems like part of the vision, too, is you just hire players who kill so hard that when it's time to hit record, Absolutely. it's just go time. Yeah. And setting up the expectation. You know, for me as a producer... I need to and band leader. I need to set up the expectation that you are walking into this session gig ready. This isn't just like for a lot of so for some folks that are listening, sometimes you show up to a recording session, it's like, oh yeah, let's listen down to the tune and like let's kind of learn it in the studio together and figure it out. And like, you don't have time dem- for that. <laughs> no, no, no. This we are recording the entire album in five days, along with monologues and intros and bumpers and outros for these episodes. Show up gig ready. We're we're showing up ready from the first time we play that song. It, you should be pretty convincingly the take. And basically, we run it a couple times just to make sure. Oh, don't fill that hole. That's my hole to fill or oh, leave a space this, or oh, this cutoff should be a little earlier, or hang on to this thing a little longer. Ah, let's change this part of the, arra- of the form of the tune and maybe make some little changes like right, that. But right. it's really showing up gig ready and making sure that expectation is set. And yes, like you're saying, hire the baddest musicians I can. <laughs> what about the set? And the look and feel of all this, like who's, I know that you're, feels like you're ultimately behind all that stuff, but uh-huh. there's got to be a team that's helping you bring some of that stuff to life. With the set, I had kind of three different drawings that I made of, okay, here's kind of what I have in mind. Here are some things I think I want kind of like Willy Wonka meets Mary Poppins 
meets uh, Johnny Carson ish, you know, and I didn't want it to feel like a, a too much like a modern day variety show set. And I wanted it to be where it, it doesn't feel like, oh, the band on this side and the announcer or the, the host on this side. I wanted to all kind of be all of it at the center. So I worked with a wonderful set designer, Trisha Robertson, and she she actually is the one who designed the set for Wolfpack's Madison Square Garden show. Okay, cool. And we worked together back and forth on drawing up stuff, and she made a render of a few different things, and we agreed on all this stuff and got, got super excited about all of it and then had somebody in Nashville build the set physically for us or for me. Um, and yeah, they built the set and I just store it in Nashville at my storage unit. Well, it's, I see what you're saying. Like, I love the way that everything is so integrated. You know, the band feels like a really huge part of this mm -hmm. music and production, which they are, you're front and center, but the whole thing is just, I'm inspired, man. I got to say that. I'm inspired to Thanks. try and crank out more music. You know, I, I spend so much of my time on the road. And yeah, we're trying to transition to do a little bit less of that, but I have a studio here. And mm -hmm. just to just to get a few more things like out the door, you know, when I see a lot of this stuff, I, I'm, you know, inspiration comes on a lot of different levels from like the actual specific art or music or or something like this. And it's cool, man. I'm I'm. I'm just, I'm blown away by this. I think heading down to bunkers. I think that's my my jam from that oh, album. Oh, thanks, man. man. Wong on ice. Are you kidding me with this? Like, <laughs> was that, is that the actual session? Are you guys like, is Eddie oh, Barbash yeah. ripping the sacks? Oh yeah. The look, look, how, here's the deal. How if great. you see me playing music on the internet, on a video, it, it's the take. I don't have time. I don't have time to do a film session and then film the audio. That's, that's not, I've never, ever. <laughs> that's not how I do it. I don't have time for that. I'm showing up. We're we're getting on the ice rink and we're pressing record. <laughs> I hope I hope you're not like offended by that question. No, no, no not because... at all. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, that's that's the thing, and that's maybe part of the the ability to be prolific is like, hey, everybody, we're showing up and we're doing the thing now, yeah. and we're just filming it now while we're doing the thing. So, yeah. you know. But yes, that's that was the other project that I had. I have other projects that I thought of when I was a teenager as well, and plenty of other projects that I've thought of <laughs> along the ways. But these two in particular it. that we're talking about are ones that I've I've had in my mind for a long time. And yeah, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota. So it's just like, to me, like everybody's got ice skates. Everybody knows how to skate. Everybody knows how to play hockey. It's like, well, why not blend the two worlds? And I rented out an ice rink for six hours and we had to load in set up sound check film the set so we just recorded it straight down and one shot at every tune yes how cool yeah we did one shot at every tune and then there's there's one spot where i uh, maybe wish we could we did it a second take but it doesn't matter at all you know that, yeah it's fine how it is it's probably better that we didn't do a second take on one of the tunes but all just recording it straight down and then we set up my brother in a goal at one end and we you know <laughs> did did a hockey thing and then we set up a drum kit on the other end of the ice and we're shooting pucks at Pitar playing there and yeah it was great like, i mean i was i'm watching 
Eddie play the solo, and I'm thinking to myself, did he already know how to skate? Was he already a good skater before this session? And was that a prerequisite for the musicians who were going to be part of this band? <laughs> no, not at all. I just hit everybody up. I was like, hey, do you know how to skate? They're like, um... I was like, well, we're going to skate. <laughs> we're going to do this thing on an ice rink. If you don't want to, like, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But it's like, I'm doing this. And everybody's like, you know what? That sounds amazing. I said, <laughs> please make sure your insurance is up to date. Cause I don't <laughs> want your old saxophone breaking on the ice. And for us to be in a tough situation, make your insured that that instrument is insured. So basically everybody who knew how to skate was out skating around. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, you can see it on the thing. Like, I asked Eddie, hey, do you know how to skate? He's like, I know how to skate forwards and backwards, and I'm going to maybe see if I can come up with a couple tricks. But, like, we didn't practice. We didn't we didn't rehearse on ice skates before. I had literally never played guitar on ice skates before the moment you see us playing. I mean, well, we skated around on the rink for five, ten minutes or something, I guess. But nobody had gone out and practiced this i didn't know if i was going to be able to pull it off it's just like hey we're going to do this so the thing that i was worried about is if our hands were going to be able to handle the cold and it wasn't a problem it was sick uh, it, yeah it was fine I, guys, I wore like i wore fingerless gloves and that helped you guys pulled it off and it's similar to what you were just saying about Korean the wong notes i think there's there's a lot of different ways you can look at these things. You know, the music stands alone. That could be front and center. Mm -hmm. The production, the the video, that's going to draw a, a lot of other people in. That can seem like the thing. Or maybe sure. it's just promo that you're grabbing along the way. But doing it live all at once, just the efficiency of this and then everything that's captured, you know, it's it's really impressive, man. And, and like I said earlier, it brings together just a really, a lot of different unique, skill sets and you're you're a funny guy and it it's really shines through in a lot of this and i was wondering what's your vision for all this you know where do you think that that all of this can go bringing all of these different talents together when you look down the line what do you dream of mm. great question thank you for the compliments in there absolutely man i mean that um I think a lot of the why I do some of this stuff is first off, it's just fun to me. Like my managers were like, really? You want to spend that much money and that much effort to make a YouTube video? Like, really? It's it's not worth it in the short term. But I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like what what making Wong on Ice is, first and foremost, it's really fun for me to do. And it's this creative itch that I've needed to scratch since I was a kid. And I just, now I did it. And it, to me, it, and the other thing that it is, it's fun for me. That's enough. And I get to, to play music with my friends and do this fun thing and make this cool, fun video that also just kind of shows, look, if I'm going to be doing something, I'm going to go hard. <laughs> and I'm going to, like, this is what I... This is what I can bring to the table as an independent production. I'm like, I'm doing this, you know, and I don't have a network helping me with this. I'm doing all of this independently. And I do it, you know, like in some case, hey, it's promo for me as an artist, promo for me to like, maybe someday some hockey team will decide, oh yeah, we, we want to hire a band to play between periods. Hey, we can do it. Check it out. Here's our audition reel. And that sort of thing. With Corey and the Wong Notes, I love doing my music thing, but I think also, yeah, it would be fun to someday have a show, whether it be like a series on some sort of streaming platform or on YouTube itself, or whether it be on an actual network to kind of bring this idea of the show that I have, my variety show thing, or something similar to an actual something that's that's more than just on my YouTube channel or whatever. Or maybe it just still is on my YouTube channel. It's just got a much larger audience. I don't know. So I'm as far as the end game, I just want to keep doing this stuff at a larger level and I guess in in some way I have it like actually make sense career-wise also 
and but but at the same time, I, I hesitate saying that because it is worth it career wise because it's just continuing to help grow everything if people are into it and if people are excited about what I'm doing. Hopefully, it's like oh yeah. You watch this free thing of my band playing on ice on YouTube. Well, if that excited you, maybe you would also be excited to come to one of my gigs. So it's like maybe that's the thing that got somebody stoked to see my live show. They bought a ticket. Great. That That's wonderful. Or or something like that. I don't know. Or, or to listen to my music online or buy an album when I'm doing that. Well, I can't wait to see where it goes, man. I'll, I'll certainly be tuned in. And I think one of the things that you said in there that I love that really tease you up for success is just that you're doing what you love Mm -hmm. and you're inspired and you're setting the table for success by just following that vision, hiring all these badass players. And the joy in the music is something that really comes through, which is great. You know, the world surely needs more of that right now. And and I think that's just a, a great takeaway from all that. You know, we really set ourselves up for success when we're just doing the stuff that we dig. You know, that's when real creativity happens on our end. And that's mm-hmm. when we do things that resonate with people. You know, I'm sure yeah. you feel that. So trying to tick off the success box, you know, and the I dig what I'm doing, kind of when those become the same thing, that's like mission accomplished. Yeah. And there's a huge difference between success and fulfillment. And that's a whole rabbit hole that we don't have to go down. But fulfillment versus success, those are two very different things. And enjoying what you do and feeling like you have purpose with it is so much more than what success can bring. And But you can do them both, yeah, it sounds you, like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's a similar thing in the way that I make my records. Like this record that I have coming out very soon now is... Is one and with this season of Corey and the Wong notes that that I'm doing now, the second season, it's like the the guests are all over the place. And like, would a label be down with this album? I don't know. It's like I have the Corey Wong thing, and with the guests, it's like, okay, yeah, cool. We have Chromio that feels like it makes sense. Big Wild that feels like it makes sense. My friend Lindsay L, who is a lot of she's known in the country world but to me she's like a singer songwriter kind of pop but leans a little bit country amazing and i have nate smith i have that makes sense because we have fearless flyers together mark letieri and larry carlton that makes sense because we're guitar buddies and then it's like okay then what about these other three things that feel like they're totally different it's like i have billy strings bela fleck and sierra hall on the same album there, there are features on the album on songs where it's like, would you expect to see Bela Fleck and Chromio or Bela Fleck and big wild on the same album? Probably not. And is it the best business move? I don't know, but I also right now where I'm at kind of don't care because it's the collaborations that I'm super excited about. It's like these people have become friends. I have admired their, their musicality and their careers and what they do. It's like, yeah, this is just fun for me to do. And hopefully that's the thing that's magnetic and translate to my audience, translates to my audience is I'm doing stuff that's really fun. And musically, it all fits together because it's within this one big world of stuff that I'm doing. Well, and it's also absolutely going to hit. I mean, Billy Strings, Bela Fleck, and Sierra Hull, I can answer the question of whether well, that's <laughs> whether that's a good call or not. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. But I'm just saying, like genre wise. Sure. It's so no, it's I like, get it. I get. What it. are you doing on one L? Why would you do this? Like, because I, I want to. And yeah. yes, they are also wildly successful musicians in in what they do and in their genre. But I'm like all over the place with it. And it might not make as much sense to somebody. But yeah, you and I can sit here and talk about it. It's like, frick, yeah, dude. Billy's yeah. one of the baddest guitar players on the planet right yeah. now. You know, and yeah. well, you know, ba- Sierra, Sierra Bela is like, of course. It, it, makes so, it makes perfect sense to you and I. But a label doesn't really get it. Or some labels wouldn't really get it. Well, the fans are going to get it. I get it. Bela was my last guest on the podcast. He was so... Oh. 
He was so awesome. And he's, you know, he's my hero. He's the one who inspired me to play banjo. And Sierra and Billy have both been on the pod and, you know, been lucky to make lots of music with both of them. And we have some other friends in common who I wanted to mention, the Kitchen Dwellers. Yes. And we have, Corey and I have both produced records for the awesome Kitchen Dwellers. Absolutely love these guys. And their new record, Wise River, um, tell us about working with the Dwellers. I was so psyched to see that you were on that project and I just love those guys. I really believe in them. Yeah, those guys are great. I, I, I'm trying to remember where I first met them, maybe on Jam Cruise or something. But yeah, they approached me and were just curious, hey, we want to try a little bit of a different thing. And here's our vision. Here's what we kind of have in mind. What do you think you can bring to the table? And they sent me some songs and it's like, cool. Like the the um the record that you produced with them it's called mirror made is that mirror right? made is, exactly yeah mirror made i was gonna say mirror woods mirror made um that record's great and the stuff before that it's great like i i like what they're doing and they have a cool live energy and they sent me their songs i was just like yeah i can here's kind of where i think i can bring things to the table certain sensibilities of of kind of how I think about music and how I think about songs on a record versus live and kind of help. Okay. Like this, I like this. So they sent me a bat, a ton of tunes. I kind of said, okay, here are the ones that stand out to me. And then, okay, let's work on these. And we, I, I worked on some arrangement things with them kind of remotely and had some songwriting things with them. And, um, a friend of mine, Elliot Bloffus, who's a great lyric writer as well and songwriter, we worked with him on some tunes to kind of help hone them in. And then also arrangement-wise, you know, they would record then the tunes uh, at their studio. All right, here's where they're at right now. Okay, then I would go back, boop, 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 make my notes. All right, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Oop, this is perfect, this is perfect, this is exactly it. All right, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Oh, this is perfect, this is perfect. Yes, more of this, more of this. <laughs> and then we got in the studio, and then by the time we got to the studio, it was a little more of, all right, we've done a lot of the work that we know that we need to do. Now let's get in the studio, capture it, and then put it all together. Because they are great, but I, what I wanted to try to do is kind of solidify okay, things can be different live versus on the album. Sure. And let's just make very intentional decisions on what something should be on the album. And, and like for my, I'm such like an arranger uh, at heart and such a rhythm section guy that when I was listening to things, a lot of it was, oh, okay, what sh- what's supposed to be the focal point in the melody and what's mm-hmm. supposed to be the focal point in the rhythm section at this, in this point. Okay. If your role is this, then your role is this up. Now you're kind of stepping on each other. Okay. Go this, try this, try this, try this. And then all of a sudden I could see it in their eyes. Like, Oh, just try to pay attention to these things as far as how the rhythm section could could enhance or leave space for things in the melodic or whatever. And it was really cool to just see them in real time start to pay attention to different things that I wouldn't say necessarily like like were life-changing, but you could all of a sudden just hear, oh, they're a, they're a much tighter band now. And it's not like they were doing anything wrong before. It was just, hey, from my, as a rhythm section guy, as somebody outside of this world, this feels like this might be stepping on this thing. And this is maybe doing this or like, ooh, this is really magnetic. Let's lift that up. Let's double that. Like, why don't both of you guys play that? Yeah. And and that sort of thing. And a lot, yeah, the process was really fun because it was, you know, me stepping into their world and them inviting me into it and yeah. just kind of, checking it out but yeah there it was cool it was fun came out great man came out great congrats on that thank you and congrats on all this stuff man it's been you know one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is it gives me an excuse to really dig into someone's music and like i said earlier you know most of those people are people who i've hung with played with all that stuff but i look forward to hanging with you sometime man and making making some music or or something somewhere out there i'd love that i'll keep uh 
I'll keep my eyes on your schedule and perhaps when you pass through Denver or if we're at a festival or something, I'll, I'll come. I'm sure we're going to be on festivals together this summer. Yeah. Keep your eyes out for the string dusters and um, let's find a time to say, hey, but in the meantime, everyone go check out Corey Wong's amazing collection of music. Like I said, Spotify, the YouTube channel is a great place to to see what this madness is all about. And uh, yeah, man, just can't say thank you enough for joining us today on Inside the Musician's Brain, Corey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. That's a wrap on episode 27 of Inside the Musician's Brain. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Huge thanks to my guest, Corey Wong. Huge thanks to my sponsors this season, Orvis, your go-to for high-quality apparel and outdoor gear and also leaders in the field of conservation. Artistworks, your go-to for online music learning. We are also brought to you by Osiris Media and Americana Vibes. If you dig what you're hearing, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. It helps tremendously. And my friends, these podcasts do not make themselves. On the next episode, I have a fantastic interview with my new friend, Maggie Rose. Maggie was so fun and interesting to talk to. She has some incredible music and an incredible story. And you can learn all about it right here in two weeks when we go back inside the musician's brain. Osiris. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.